questions that don't have clear answers, issues that can't be resolved through logical analysis, and moments in our lives that can't be engaged with and understood on one's own. Welcome to Ajar, an experiment in collaborative meaning-making with author and professor Joan Ball, strategist Rebecca Taylor, and artist and educator A.M. Bott. This monthly podcast follows weekly Substack articles, one from each member of Ajar, on a topic that is at once timeless and, given where we are in the world, of immediate concern. This month's topic is recalibration. I, I got an entry point for us. I got <laughs> the collaboration started on Clubhouse. And um, to a great degree, uh, a lot of the, you know, folks who are in the community are still kind of clubhouse based. And all of us have been about a year on into this platform that is clearly a kind of central uh, uh, thing for all of us, right? It's not the central thing in our lives, obviously, but clearly it's become a pretty central thing, right? And so maybe a way into this conversation is um, kind of recalibration in the context of, of, of clubhouse specifically. And then all the things we talk about, you know, community and, and, and kind of social media in general. Because I've been, I've been actually been having a lot of these conversations like we just had before we started recording about kind of dynamics on this platform and how you need to, you know, kind of rethink and um, to use this month's topic, recalibrate expectations and norms and all of that. So um, that might be a useful place to start and then see where we go in terms of our articles. I like starting there. And I'll just add another piece that's been on my mind uh, because this expectations piece around um, the question of uh, social proof has been on my mind, right? This idea of the use of the term, (laughs) where the term came from, and the acceptance, this broad acceptance that social proof is necessary, valuable, to be given attention, or maybe we just don't have a choice anymore. But there are these fundamental things of how do we deal with each other socially? How do we think about others by how they deal with others socially? It's just been on my mind a lot. And, And this idea of standards, right? When we talk about calibration and recalibration, it's about setting a standard and then making sure we're measuring up to the standards that we set. And I think that for me, thinking about that topic in the context of our blog posts and this conversation that we were setting up for, uh, I was thinking a lot about what standards do I have? How did I set them? Did I set them myself? Were they set by the culture? And do I even uh, embrace them? Or, or do I want to set my own standards for some things, uh, especially when it comes to these social interactions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I have calibrated and recalibrated my feelings on Clubhouse and and how I engage with the app uh, pretty thoroughly and consistently throughout this past year. I can look back on on very specific phases of engagement and, and how I engaged. And it's interesting that you raise the social proof question because I think that comes into play a lot in how I think about how I'm engaging. And the longer we know each other, both in this room and other people on the app, the dynamics become more and more complicated and also somehow simpler. 
I think there's a lot of clarity that comes with time and of these conversations, a lot more kind of points of calibration, you know, reference points, evidence, um, things that you begin to see to understand um, where you play in it and, and how you want to play in it, you know, what rooms you want to be in, what games you will not play, you know, the the blocking, the, the social proof where uh, that sort of happens without consent in some ways, you know, like, okay, now I need to think carefully about whether I sit in this room and how I sit on this stage because of the message that it inevitably sends. And then in the reverse, how we show up for people to provide that support, not necessarily thinking of it as social proof, but but support of, I believe in you, I want to see you do something, so I want to show up even if there's only three people in this room, I will be one of them. So it's, it's interesting how much that has become more of a key defining factor of my time on Clubhouse now than it was necessarily in the beginning, when it was more about learning and edification and exploring and just kind of meeting a lot of people. It's become much more about deeper engagement in the spaces that interest me and deeper engagement with the people I'm interested in connecting with. Yeah, uh, you know, I think uh, Jen, you said uh, the word standard, and and you know, of course, calibration is right, like kind of identifying some objective standard, and then okay, that's my set point, and and you know, where am I relative to that in in this you know thing I'm looking at or engaging with? So coming into Clubhouse, I knew not, I was one of those people who knew nothing about it, but but somebody told me you know you're going to enjoy this, and um, this is like uh, November of 2020, December of 2020, and um, you know, my calibration point was the kind of general social media uh, um, calibration point, which for me is, okay, I don't do social media really um, other than um, to, you know, kind of further, you know, uh, uh, the professional side, you know, send messages, that kind of thing. You know, a place to, during the last administration, rant about the last administration <laughs> And so, so when I you know hopped out of the platform, it was it was sort of business. You know, I found a lot of uh, uh, um, the first group I was really active in is Black Men in STEM because of the nonprofit we run. And so it was like that was a calibration point. Was this is a place to have professional conversations live, and um, have a kind of reach? And then um, it it became a very quick recalibration around. Mm, no, actually, there's there's something actually social here, something community based. And so like you, Rebecca, it's like, like, so those are like two in the first 30 days. And there's constantly been this kind of, you know, uh, uh, re-engaging in. But but what's interesting for me is that the point of calibration, so the initial point of calibration is relative to other social media. Okay, this is LinkedIn with live voice, right? It's a place that professional conversations with live voice. And so it's an external calibration point. Unlike other social media platforms, um, the ongoing calibration here, at least for me, has been relative to the thing itself. I think the experience is that in the handful of communities I'm in on, on Clubhouse, that the, the standard keeps getting uh, redefined in the context of that community, right? And so it's, it's the calibration is within universe or within domain as opposed to an objective uh, a calibration point right relative to something outside of itself and both of those types of calibration are are useful for different purposes 
Uh, but one of the things I find, uh, uh, you know, if I were to kind of analyze it, which I think I'm doing right now, I think it may be one of the things that, you know, that, that keeps me on the platform is because it does have an internal point of calibration. I tend not to get overly, you know, on the, on the mechanical side of life, you know, uh, we've got a pot of tea here. Um, external points of calibration, um, the temperature, you know, uh, a gauge, and it's an external point. That's very useful. But it's stuff I actually care about, engaged in, committed to. Uh, a lot of it is because, again, it's, we've talked about community-based, relationship-based, et cetera. Internal points of calibration and recalibration um, are what I find useful, right? And so uh, in Clubhouse, while the initial was external calibration, right, relative to other standards, outside standards, for me, what keeps the thing interesting and engaging is the ongoing internal recalibration within the community. Like, you know, without getting into specifics, we even talk about some, 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 some blowups that have happened and how that's led to recalibration, but within community, right? Not relative to some outside standard, not that those aren't brought in. Does that make any more sense or am I just rambling? No, I, I actually think I, I hear you pretty clearly because I had some similar calibration point around other social media mm. because I have always been an early adopter of social media. I was on Facebook from the get, Twitter from the get, Instagram pretty quickly, um, and I'm still active on all of those, but they have a very defined place, each of them, in my life, in, in how I think about them and how I utilize them. And it's interesting that I came into Clubhouse with similar expectations as you did, because I was using those other platforms. I always recognized it would fit into a different piece of the pie, and it may not be a piece of the pie that was already there in the way that Twitter is my news source, you know, in the way I engage with academics. Facebook is for old high school friends and, and family. Instagram is very much a work community for me and, and personal brand building around that because the art world is deeply engaged there. And so I thought Clubhouse would somehow slot in if it became a thing for me into one of those roles. But I brought in a lot of the calibration points from the previous one, that it would be a place I'd either connect with people I already knew or connect with people in my field, and that anyone that I met otherwise wouldn't necessarily become a real-life person or real-life friend. So I, I came in with those expectations and thus was shocked the first time in, in March of 2020 when I agreed to meet someone off app. Uh, it seemed it was completely out of character. I'd never met anyone off of a social media app before. And I felt really uncomfortable with the idea. And now, you know, it's a year later, that person and I are still very good friends. And I can't believe I was ever nervous to go meet, meet a Maceo because now it's like, of course I would go meet Maceo. Maceo is a, a true friend, not just a clubhouse friend. You two have become true friends, not, not clubhouse friends. And that is something that when I came into the app, I could have never imagined. I mean, if you would have told me I would be sitting here with you guys on a regular basis, planning travel, so that way I could see you, not just for podcast recording, but for community, for dinner, for engagement with friends, um, I, I wouldn't have believed it based on that earlier calibration point. So similarly, I now look at Clubhouse, everything relative to Clubhouse. As the calibration point, we often say things like, well, in early Clubhouse or in, you know, January 2021 Clubhouse or whatever that is, we all have those kind of internal reference points 
for key moments, you know, when Elon Musk came on, when so-and-so was really active, when this scandal blew up, as you sort of alluded to, uh, when so-and-so was canceled. It's now the reference point within itself, which is which is interesting to think about that sort of North Star changing for how you assess something. Well, I'm thinking about this for myself, and I come to this differently on a couple of levels, which is, which is interesting to think about. First of all, my relationship with social media in general and prior to Clubhouse is very little about myself, actually. Most of my engagement was so... I also was an early adopter to uh, socials across the board, and much of that was because of just curiosity and an interest in uh, understanding that world, right? It was almost like an anthropological approach to social media. I've never been... Uh, very oriented toward personal branding at all. I, I don't even know if I agree with the notion of personal branding. Uh, I, I don't love the idea of people as products, and I never have. Um, but I, but I also, as a marketing professor, recognize that that exists. So this idea of connecting to these tools um, and approaches to being with others as um, an observer of them, an observer of people in them has typically been more and how can they be used and how might my students use them and how might people who I engage as clients use them. So it's never um, been very much about establishing them for myself. When I came on Clubhouse, I think it was, again, a curiosity. It was brought to my attention uh, by... Uh, my daughter, actually, and um, and it's interesting because I really was the one who pushed her onto Twitter, right? We've always done that kind of back and forth with sometimes I'm on it, sometimes she's on it, and we, it, it's an exploration. But at that same time, I was just about to launch a podcast myself, right? So uh, obviously, for anybody who's listened to this or anyone who knows me, I'm, I'm pretty... Um, focused on the fact that I have this book coming out in April. It's, it's a, a, a real core focus for me right now. And the recognition of preparing for that, making me move from that anthropological view of looking at socials and having to say, oh, and then how can these tools be used for me to connect my ideas to others? So there's been a shift there in this timetable. And from an audio perspective, uh, many, many years ago, I was on radio, right? Radio was something that uh, was part of my life and I loved it. Uh, I actually only left radio because I was in a professional situation that I needed to uh, make more money than I was making in radio uh, just for practical reasons and had to leave it and always regretted having left it in, in the sense that I felt like it was something I could have stuck with. Um, and so when I decided to start podcasting was just when Clubhouse came. And I actually had recorded my preliminary uh, interviews for the podcast, was in editing mode, et cetera. And Clubhouse really changed that because even when I was creating the podcast, I had said, um, I really would love to have a talk radio show. 
that was much more of an interest to me to have a talk radio show than to have a podcast, but podcasting was, I wasn't going to go back into radio. And so the podcast seemed like the alternative. And then overnight, social audio really became a talk radio show. And so um, the calibration that I had for that was just a pleasure of being able to be in voice again. So I really wasn't comparing it to other socials. I wasn't even really thinking of it as social media. It was much more as media, I think, in a way for me. But that's probably typical of me. And that's why I think it's so surprising what Clubhouse became for me, which was social. This development, not as much of community, but development of uh, really, as you were saying, Rebecca, like these profound relationships with individual humans and then also communities of those humans coming together. But for me, it's that, uh, that one-on-one and, and being profoundly social in media as opposed to social media seems to be how it's landing for me. I hadn't thought about it before, but that seems to be how I, I, I'm calibrating it. So, so if we, if I genericize out of Clubhouse and, and the kind of broader, so there's a distinction, uh, you know, one of our many little, you know, book of distinctions, as it were, and we don't use the term calibrating, but 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 it fits. It's the same concept. Um, so there's there's um, sort of three domains of again, I'll say calibrating for for us, right? So there is um, calibration relative to external, right? And so I said, you know, so. 18 months ago, I decided to start weightlifting again, right? And so early on, there's calibration relative to external. For kind of my age, my size, my, you know, what's a kind of benchmark for deadlift, right? And that's an external calibration. It's really useful um, in best practice work. You know, there's a lot of things in life and in an organization where I do want to replicate what somebody else did because it makes sense, right? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm big on tea, right? And so I'm making tea early days. I want to, I want to replicate a process. And so I want to use that external calibration point, that external standard. Um, and there's internal calibration, which is what we've been talking about with Clubhouse, um, where the reference point isn't some objective standard of right or good or balanced or healthy, but it's an ongoing internal uh, 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 standard, right? And so we use, you know, the first cal- uh, calibration, external st- uh, calibration point uh, is really useful not in the organizational context in training work, where I'm trying to replicate skills, right? The second kind of, of calibration, internal calibration, is really useful for developmental work, where I'm uh, working with somebody or we're working with somebody to, to help them bring out themselves more and more, right? Where, where the only calibration point can be internal and external calibration points can be problematic, um, but then, and now sort of leading into, into the articles of the month, or at least mine, then the third uh, 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 leg of that distinction is decalibration. And so, you know, my life has been on, uh, uh, you know, breakthrough work, innovation work, again, the whole thing kind of not change, but fundamental transformation stuff that's never been done before. And there, there's a process of decalibration. You know, as I put in the article, like, you know, when you find yourself in the middle of the ocean and you intentionally throw away the compass, throw away the map, throw away the sextant, and cover up the sky. And so now there's no possibility to calibrate against anything. And decalibration, I find, is critical for fundamental transformation work, for the process of discovering um, what there is no basis for that only you have access to. And so there's no basis for it in objective standard, 
but there's also no basis for it in any internal calibration points. It is truly uh, uh, new territory, right? And so for our conception of leadership, my conception of what you know, the work of art is, its precursor is decalibration. You know, in the context of, if you go back to Clubhouse, right? So, you know, some, some, some bumps, we were talking about this blocking uh, uh, issues. I got blocked. Uh, it's, it's interesting because I'm not a guy that, uh, you know, this is like the second time it's happened. The first one was more of a misunderstanding. And so there's an invitation to say, you know, um, the kind of way I lead my life is, is, so am I willing to decalibrate? So what I know about this person in this context, am I willing to just jettison it all? And... Um, have fundamentally new territory, right? In this case, I don't think I am, but regardless, <laughs> that's a possibility. Um, but it's a completely different game than calibrating externally or calibrating internally. Those two are different games as well. Um, but then there's this whole nother territory, which is how do I jettison all standards, including internal ones, uh, so that I can discover what's never been discovered before by myself. I like what you're saying, and I think... Um, I mean, I, I want to know more about decalibration, but I'm 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 ready to say that we probably have some uh, similarities in the way that we're we're thinking about this. I don't think I would use decalibration as as language either, but um, I think I'm coming at it from thinking about how do we um, be very aware of which of those games we're playing or when we're playing all of those games at once, which I think is probably more likely, is that at any given time in the aggregate of what we're, we're doing, I don't mean in a specific domain, in a specific task. I mean, just as human beings waking up in the morning and having a variety of different tasks that we are um, and in, in responsibilities across domains and um, and all of that, there were probably areas of our life that we are doing that external calibration, doing that internal calibration and decalibrating or called upon to do all of the other. And that self-awareness, that context awareness, that um, self-regulation, that, right, there's, there, there are a lot of skills and capacities that are going on um, within the instinct or not instinct or intuition or not intuition of doing all of that, right? There, there's, there's, and you know me, I'm always biased towards sense-making. That's, that's kind of how I view the world. There's a lot to make sense of there, uh, to, to ask oneself, to ask myself about even, again, in this, in this kind of very, very specific context of playing around with how I, I want to bring uh, these thoughts and ideas into the world, right? Yeah. Which parts of it do I want to be thinking about these external calibrations, things like book sales and things like, you know, how many interviews you're doing, right? There's a lot of that, that there is a best practice aspect to that. Then there is my own intuitive sense and my internal uh, values, views, and, and thoughts about that. Uh, but I do have this suspicion that there is an uncharted territory about how all of this can be done that isn't best practice world or my best instinct, but that there is also something out there uh, that is different about how we can share and um, be present with one another and be present with ideas and all of it. And, and so I like this. I like what you're saying. I don't have a lot of conclusions about it other than to say um, – 
I feel like there is a weaving there. There's a, at least for me and the way that I approach things, there there's a weaving involved there somewhere. Yeah, it's all all three. I, I'm gonna break PTR uh, order, Rebecca, just to quickly respond to that. <laughs> a little clubhouse reference for you non clubhouse people listening. Um, just to quickly respond to said, uh, yeah, absolutely, Joan, and uh, very much with you that 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 you know the. There's no day I can imagine walking through that doesn't um, uh, involve all three of those. Uh, and it's a source of one of my, you know, kind of frustrations, rants in younger days, and I'm kind of over it with, with practitioners, is, you know, the danger of not, as a, as a practitioner, as a development professional, of not understanding the distinction. And whatever, again, I don't use calibration, decalibration in the work, but if you take that for the purpose of this conversation, because it's the same distinction, the danger of not understanding what's required in a external calibration event training, uh, an internal calibration event development, and a decalibration event, uh, what we call leadership, um, a practitioner doesn't understand the kind of fundamental difference of how to engage just creates nonsense. But just to underscore what you said, yeah, absolutely. There, there isn't a day that goes by that that, that you're not in, that I'm not engaging in one or the other. Um, particularly given what I'm doing here, the decalibration is a you know ongoing thing. Lots of folks daily are you know trying to bring best practices. Like, nope, we're doing something that's not been done, and and we're not you know um, we're not we respect it, but we're not doing that. Right? We're 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 discovering what we're doing. So yeah, all three in every day, and a real real value in understanding the distinction so that you don't use the wrong framework or the ineffective framework uh, in a particular context. Yeah, I've, I've never used the term decalibration. It's an interesting one. I like the concept. I, I focused in my article much more on uh, internal calibration and how I sort of go about that. Um, for me, it's really a process of first sort of uh, identifying at the last point you were calibrated, like where was the last place where I knew, where I knew or I thought I knew who I was and, and what did I perceive that to be? Then sort of assessing the impact, you know, what's happened in the meantime to me, what might have, might have shifted in me. It's kind of doing an internal audit of, of how that kind of that work, what's happened. And then opening up space uh, to sort of see what's changed and and be really open to being a different person um, on minor levels and major levels. Certainly, it happens every day that we kind of go through this process almost almost unconsciously um, in in minor ways, assessing what's happened and how we feel about it and and who we want to be as we go into the next day. But certainly. You know, I kind of focused on that moment after, like, when COVID was sort of seemingly coming coming out in the spring. We were coming out of lockdown, vaccinated, and and rejoining the world sort of as different people, perhaps, than we went into lockdown. And, and that process of how I explored perhaps being a totally different person. I came to the conclusion I wasn't a completely different person, but I could only come to that conclusion through really opening up space to not like the same things I liked before, not find joy in the same places or the same people, the same relationships, the same things, and really being open, I think, perhaps in a decalibrated way, to totally new reference points, totally new feelings, totally new ways of being and ways of wanting to be in the world. I'm a really 
cheery and upbeat guy, but 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 I'm going to bring death back into this um, uh, two months in a row. Uh, decalibration requires a certain. It, it is again a form of death. It's I have to let go of a standard that I may have had for 30 years that, that that's central to my sense of identity. That's a you know that that compass is like critical to me, right? It's been since I was four years old or whatever it is. But to actually discover the new territory, I got to be willing to, to to kind of die to that that standard, that that reference point, that whatever. You know, so for some people, it's family. For some people, it's uh, a religion. For some people, it's a marriage. For some people, it's uh, a career occupation, a career identity. But it's not a, a tra- again. This is where the kind of danger of, of of dealing with these things out of domain. Again, exiting a marriage or exiting a career they've been in for 30 years, that's not a recalibration event for me. That's a decalibration event. That's a, what is the kind of ritual process and practice of of kind of you know, honoring that compass I had for 30 years and then throwing it overboard? Not putting it on a mantle. Not saying that's it. Throwing it overboard so that somewhere in the darkness there I can find what my new compass is for this next stage. My article took it I think maybe to one level of abstraction um, outside of what we've been talking about, and that is, what if calibration, what if we put that on the altar, right? What if the whole metaphor of um, us as machines that have standards and then calibrate around them, what what if we broke that? And what if rather than either calibrating or recalibrating or decalibrating, we said, what would it be if we didn't view ourselves as machines at all? Because that is a machine reference. And I love, uh, and I put them in my, in my, in my post, in my article, uh, the engrams for the words calibrate and recalibrate. And it's fascinating because the word in the English language was not used at all until 1850. And then it's used on an upward uh, trajectory until the mid 1990s, and then it falls like a rock. And if you it, like, it really tracks the industrial revolution. This, this, and it makes sense, right? It's it's a machine word. It is absolutely a machine word that has to do with um, having machines uh, working in tip top order and producing in tip top order. And when things are uncalibrated, then they are you know, out of balance and they need to be fixed, right? This idea of fixing. And in, in the article, I'm really not suggesting a different framing, but more kind of posing the question, what if there was a different frame? What if there had never been machines? What was, how did people do what we would call calibrating or recalibrating before they were thinking about machine metaphors to do so? What, what's the history there that could inform a future of how we think about uh, orienting ourselves in the world and right now standards and then either meeting standards or not meeting standards is the way we do it and we've just accepted that. Uh, And that makes sense because we came up in that 20th century mindset. Are there new metaphors that we can embrace um, knowing that those will fail as well, but what would it look like to, to, to not be standardizing ourselves and then fighting to be in or outside of the standardizing. And I just think that's a compelling question, especially as we have decalibrated so many things, right? And we're in the process culturally of decalibrating so many things. Do we have to come to a new calibration or is there something wholly different 
that we can be thinking about that is are the 21st century metaphors that we're building uh, rather than returning to 20th century ones. Yeah, see, I, I think what, what one of my concerns about the era, actually, John, is that we're not decalibrating. We're actually recalibrating, that we're using, you know, old mindsets yes. to create shiny new things. I mean, if, if I just look at the, the kind of decentralization movement, but I look at the background assumptions of the people working on it, they're still industrial era mindsets. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so it, it, it's creating probably, scarcity in abundance. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. You know, the whole NFT movement at, at mass, it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's, it's, you know, this kind of um, on, on, on one level, a, um, you know, argument for decentralization and, and um, pushing power down the hierarchy. And then it's leveraged off of scarcity and it's yep. leveraged off. of Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so it, it, it's, it's kind of problematic for me and it, it, it concerns me. But, it, but it, part of that may be the challenge of imagining yeah. another, right? Those frameworks have been with us for, you know, 150 years, however long it's been. That industrial mindset is baked in for a long time. And yeah. so what is the other? What is the potential other? What has been the other in the ancient past that could be, you know, modernized to, to be applicable I think it's just an interesting thing to be considering because I agree with you 150%. That's what's happening. It's recalibrating. We're creating the industrial revolution with new tools and saying that it is difference, but it's really, I'm not seeing the difference. Yeah, we even call it, uh, you know, industry 4.0, industrial revolution 4.0. <laughs> it's the same language and it's the same kinds of people. It's interesting, actually, because when this word was picked, this theme for this month. It's not a word I use in my life, so I actually really struggled with this because um, I don't think about it. But I, what, how I wrote this was thinking about what I do. And the term for me immediately brought to mind mechanics and mechanisms, and I use the compass as the point of reference because that's when you said recalibration. I think it was AM who suggested that as the theme. That's what I thought of is like, okay, well, you recalibrate a compass and that does, to Joan's point, lean into old metaphors of going somewhere, of direction, too, of like we're on a journey to a certain place, which I, I don't subscribe to at all. So it, it's interesting that in the word itself for me brought me straight to that place of, of that metaphor because that's where it exists for me. It's not language I use in my in my life. But if we were, if in applying it to my life, the metaphor that came up is exactly, exactly the mechanics. And these framing metaphors, and in, in, you know that this idea of metaphor, not as a narrative structure, although obviously metaphors can be used as narrative, but conceptual net metaphors about how we frame things. Right? We talk about oh, frame or reframe, but we don't talk a lot about how that gets done. And one way, one really useful way is with metaphors, um, not to pick the right metaphor in order, but to recognize that metaphor can really frame our understanding, right? And I think that this machine metaphor, even when we talk about the newest brain science as how we're wired, right? Just that idea of humans being wired, I think is fascinating. Because it's not the only way that you can talk about networks of neurons, but wired is what we've chosen. And as a result, it's really this, this um, persistence of human as machine. And I think that, the, that it has all kinds of unintended consequences when we think about ourselves as machines. 
both as having to be fixed all the time, uh, as having built-in obsolescence, as all of these things that we, uh, and we are not that, and we don't have to be that. The link to the, to the uh, TED Talk I put in my article, and I say that here, folks, and the article isn't finished being done yet. We're, 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 we're cheating a little. You're not your career potential. You're not your earning potential. You're not your relational potential. You're not your uh, physical potential. You have all of those things and more. And you can keep, again, using our, the language you're using here, you can keep recalibrating to develop further and further on all those things. But if you got all of those things figured out, you're still fundamentally a mystery. Right? You're fundamentally a mystery. You know, and, and I think I, I like to fun with the kids. Is say, you know, none of your parents wanted you. None of your parents wanted you. The four of us, none of our, uh, our parents wanted us. How could they have wanted a, a, you know, a, a, a PhD management professor who's got, you know, forearm tattoos and uh, is writing a book about wayfinding? Like, you're a surprise. Inherently, you're a surprise. And if you think about you know, people who were raised in a machine model, right, the, the, the kid who before they're born, while they're still in utero, the parents have got figured out what kindergarten they're going to, what uh, prep school they're going to, what career they should have because that's a career the family has had. You know, the, that person is psychotic by the time they're 22. You know? That kind of machine model of raising somebody, of just assuming we know, okay, okay here are the external calibration points. We've always been lawyers. You're going to be a lawyer. We've always lived in the Northeast. You're going to live in the Northeast. We've, all those external calibration points, again, are useful for some things, but they're problematic because exactly as you said, John, they, they, they machinify human life. And fundamentally, if you get every aspect figured out, you're still a mystery. You're still a thing that's beyond the ability to be rationally comprehended. You're still on the boat in the middle of the ocean without a compass, a sextant, and stars. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. This is a thing to recalibrate around, right? Not decalibrate around in society that, that, that I would love to see is, is people just letting go of, of that it all has to mean something. That it all has to get somewhere. You know? Well, that's what you were saying, right? This notion of like perpetual journey. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Everyone talks about climbing a ladder and getting a certain place and you know, all those metaphors we use are about destinations. And um, it, it's interesting, too, because so this word that I don't really relate to, this, this recalibrating, when I applied it to my life, the way I recalibrate is minus technology. It's actually independent of machinery. And it's, it's for me, it's oriented around art because that is just one of the places where I'm best able to be and see and think and feel. And, and it's mine, you know, it's my space where there's no right or wrong answers. It's just what I see and what I see and what I feel this time when I look at a painting might be different than what I saw or felt last time. So it's full of reference points, but also the ability to think there without a reference point and just be in and see what I'm coming with that day. And where my mind is going. And I think getting away, finding spaces in our life that are tech-free, machine-free, that are just about opening up space to think and be and ask ourselves questions and, and just look can be so empowering and, and freeing. 
I have a question for you about that. That's that's re- so I'm so used to you being an art expert and just expert in that field and the understanding of the pieces themselves, how they fit into culture, et cetera. But what you just said made me interested in, and I I felt the same way when I read your piece, right? This uh, this idea of um, your calibrating again. You don't use the word around going to all of these museums, right? There were so many museums in the list. It's so remarkable to me. Um, but what you just said, that you being in front of those paintings that you've seen many of them time and time again is part of your internal calibration of yourself. Is that, is that am I hearing you right? It can be. It can be because I can see how I'm looking differently. I can see what I'm focusing on, what's coming to me, what's standing out to me, what thoughts it's bringing up for me. And it's almost like a way of journaling without journaling. It just pulls all these thoughts out wherever my head is or or whatever is kind of buried in there comes to the surface in what I'm looking at or how it's speaking to me. Or Sometimes a painting that used to speak to me doesn't anymore. It's just kind of falling flat for me. And another that I don't usually like now is engaging me in a dialogue. And I can use those to sort of analyze what's, what's happening in my own brain. You know, what, what am I feeling? What's resonating with me? Am I suddenly more focused on the still lives? Am I, am I feeling this attraction to this kind of skull metaphors, this sort of life and death? journey that's implied here through still life or am I drawn to this kind of woman's psychology and her facial expressions and am I thinking about you know what's happened to her from more of an anthropological kind of sociological place like I can learn a lot about where I am and what I'm feeling by what I'm seeing. I love that so much because I think it speaks to uh, maybe even some of what you were saying AM if I was interpreting that right of um just the damage that is done by these here are the five ways that you can figure out where you are and go on your journey and so on and so forth. It, you have a very unique interest in art, a very unique expertise and talent for seeing it in ways that other people might not see, certainly differently than I do. It's just, it's remarkable for me to watch you in that way. But the fact that it also becomes uh, a point of orientation or calibration makes it even more remarkable because it's not just kind of a knowledge and interpretation and an expertise, not to say that those aren't critical and important and wonderful. It just shows that there is a wide variety of ways that we can find what connects to us in order to see how we connect to the world. Thank you for spending some time with us in this conversation. If you have any comments on what you've heard, we'd love to hear from you. The best way to do that is on Clubhouse. We run a live social audio conversation on Thursdays at noon Eastern time. Visit us at ajar.substack.com for a link to that Clubhouse room, as well as all of the Ajar articles and information on upcoming events.